0: 32 counties, thirty-two questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea, and this is United Ireland. Oh, and every sorry, week we say that together. Oh, this, this is. is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Thank you. Sorry, I'm <laughs> rushing because um, we were stuck for time a little bit today. We're going to get through it. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county, and then see where in the world it brings us. This week's county,
1: Kildare, and this week's question: Boiling mad. What's wrong with our water?
0: Excellent work. Um, Andrea's mind has just been blown because (laughs) she was talking about Little Mermaid. Ursula, water. Er, Ursula, water. water, And then Andrew said, What about the Little Mermaid in Manhattan? Ah!" And that's the last we'll hear about Made in Manhattan this week. Is it though? Una, how was your week? Well, Andrea, um, it was very busy and eventful. Go on. I had um, a great and mildly terrifying night on Saturday when I was interviewing Margaret Atwood at the National Concert Hall. Um, And she was just amazing. What was fun was I got to hang out with her for about an hour before the show. So we're having um, loads of chats over that hour, hour and a half and talking about books and politics. And she's just so, like her brain is so giant. I kind of felt like, Interviewing her is kind of like playing chess against a really, really, really smart person who knows everything and you're kind of standing there holding a pawn going, does this does one it? jump? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and uh, yeah, she's just so honored and so dark and so funny and um, kind of remarkably, her husband died six weeks ago. Fuck. And she's still um, on this book tour. Obviously, she took a little break, but... She's Sometimes it's better
1: to keep going for and then yeah. let just to get over the initial grief shock and then get into the grief.
0: Yeah. And I think she prob like her mind is so extraordinary that she's probably managed to contextualize it in a way that is beyond mere mortals. So that was fun. Wow, yeah. you've, you you
1: kind of liked her then, did
0: you? Yeah. <laughs> I did. She yeah. was very intimidating I guess, but that was my own projection. She was actually super lovely and sound and nice and down to earth and And from what I c- went from what I could
1: tell by the internet it went very well. It was I literally good. trail you through the internet. <laughs> Search for Una Malati.
0: <laughs> Who mentioned her? I don't really. You were I'm just gonna let that slide. You went to see <laughs> you you were hanging out what were you doing I know what you were doing (laughs) (laughs) you were hanging with another icon on the Friday
1: night I wish I was actually hanging with her oh my god she is just the best thing that's ever happened to the world Cher mother of Christ that woman is inspirational and like we were sitting beside these people it was so gas because she did all these roasts of people and Mm. like stories and you were like sitting forward going go on Cher and then what happened no way and they were like, crossed arms going, get on with the singing. We were like, oh my God, you do not get this. It was like a giant drag show. Like, don't you know the way, that's my favourite bit of drag. Well, <laughs> every bit of drag. But like, don't you know when the drags, like, they're so witty and they're cutting, but they're warm and loving at the same time. That kind of was share telling her story. So there was a bit of storytelling um, all the theatrics, the like story about her being 73. You're just like, it just makes you think of like how important a every moment of your life is to live, making sure you're doing what makes your heart sing. And also that just because you're turning 40 or 50 or 60, that's not the end, babes. You are only getting going. And she just is the emulation of what it means to be alive to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, like Atwood is 80 or she's 80 this month. And she's smarter than every single person who is in that room Actually, and more on it, like yeah, more yeah, sharper. Yeah. And the same thing with Cher, like doing this amazing performance and yeah. having the absolute laws. And why shouldn't you be doing that when you're 70? You know, it's all Jane Fonda's thing that yeah. the third act, the people, the post 60 act. Yeah.
1: And another observation from that was just as a country, how wonderful it is that we are able to just be bopping around and three roads back from you is the leader of the country with his fella just no security just living his life and bopping away to share and we obviously like we'll we have a lot to talk about Leo and his comments this week but, but that aside it's great that we live in a country where it's not like surrounded by loads of security Blah. obviously there was I'm sure there was mm. a security around but it just was just in with the people with the kids. Well, he is a man of the. No. <laughs>
0: um, well, I saw Christina Aguilera last night. Really fantastic. Enjoyed it. Was really? surprised by how much I oh, enjoyed it. I got an explanation of the concert that it was just one of the gassest things. You enjoyed it, though? I did enjoy it. Why are you like, oh, you enjoyed it? Wait until I ruin your dreams. <laughs> it was this. this mm,
1: sh- no, it's okay. It was like, how was the concert? And I was like, it was a ima- match. Imagine. Boots' Christmas party uh, and then they went to the karaoke rooms in Yukio was the description of the concert
0: I don't I disagree I, I, I don't think that's the case I think it was like a, it was kind of a scaled down show the production for its size was really good she was actually really on it I was surprised by how um, sophisticated some of the visual aspects were there was all this kind of Barbara Kruger inspired stuff I thought it was really good. I was surprised. I wasn't really expecting anything. I was just going for work to review yeah. it, and I was like, "Shit, this was actually really good." More importantly, so
1: not more importantly. Sorry to take away from the importance, but don't you know the way? Like with my whole like, I'm Irish, blah blah blah. I learn Irish, and I go to trad nights
0: every week. And
1: you co-host a podcast called United, United Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but so literally, I go to Cassidy's most Sundays where Rake the Ashes play, my new favourite band. And guess who popped up? I didn't go this week. Christina fucking Aguilera was in there on Sunday, bopping out the tunes with the lads.
0: I'm absolutely fuming. The one week. The one week. It's always the way. This week, the International Grand Committee on Disinformation and Fake News is in Dublin. Today. Uh, today, yeah. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday. And basically, um, politicians from 10 different countries are going to be kind of sitting in in these committee hearings. Um Uh, that Hildegard Nocton who's TD she's chairperson of the Joint Theroxys Committee on Communication Climate Action and Environment she's going to chair it and they're going to be hearing from different experts and all that on it so it's a very interesting thing to be happening in Dublin on the back of that I was at an event that um, Liz Carolyn ran on Tuesday evening Liz Carolyn friend of the pod
1: we need to have her on again yeah
0: we do need to have her on again Transparent Referendum Initiative was her um, great piece of work during uh, repeal and Uh, she's kind of working in digital, like, you know, threats to democracy and countering digital disruption and that kind of stuff. And uh, so there's this event uh, around uh, digital disruption in Ireland's next election. Um, Coffee and Circumvention is the name of this series of events if people are really, if people are kind of into this kind of stuff. And it was just super interesting to hear the people talk there looking towards the the next Irish election and what lessons can be learned from the European one and, of course, from America. um, Also on that
1: note did you see Gale's uh, video taking a pop of Fall? no water where did finenopfold's policies go? It was so American, so gross, so an insight into where we might, what we might be in for, for this election.
0: Well I mean this is a thing a lot of the, the mainstream politicians don't actually want to cha- challenge what's wrong with regards to the tools that extremists and people use because they can also use, use them. them. Um, one of the guys who was speaking there um, uh, at this thing on Tuesday evening, a guy called Ben Scott, he um, is Director of Policy at an organisation called Illuminate and he was the Director of the Technology Policy Advisory Group for a little campaign called Hillary Clinton <laughs> Uh, 2016 presidential campaign. And uh, he's kind of, you know, pretty much saying that America for sure is looking down this barrel of what's going to be kind of catastrophic digital disruption next year. As we know, um, the amount of money that's being spent on it and the capacity for all bets to just be off and, and for. This kind of um, disruption to permanently divide the country, he was talking about in, in, in that way, uh, which is very worrying. But, you know, I'm just in, oh, I was in Brussels on Monday uh, doing a talk about um, common ground and polarization and online activism. Um, and, uh, you know, just, I'm just casually in Brussels just, gosh, <laughs> with this two young leaders from the Middle East and North Africa who are coming from a completely different context in terms of state surveillance and these platforms being weaponized, um much more seriously than a lot of other places in the world actually one of the young women from Egypt was talking about now how it's got to this point where young people are being stopped on the street in Cairo by um, state agents police etc, military and their phones taken from them and searching seeing if they've searched anything that's anti the regime um, but uh one of the, you know, kind of all these talks you're having with people and, and I'm just increasingly just thinking, as I have kind of always, but it's really being driven home to me these days that, you know, online solutions have offline problems or online problems have offline solutions and that, you know, this Would co- they be like, get offline? <laughs> yeah. Well, this <laughs> get is, offline. I mean, this is a fundamental. It's like I'm constantly thinking in these kind of conversations, you know, has anybody thought of getting off the internet? Because if this is where <laughs> this is happening um, and I know that that you know, I know that that is not practical for a lot of people. I know that we need to do loads of things at once. I also know um, as a speaker, um, a professor who was speaking in Brussels on Monday, yeah, this guy Amro said this really interesting thing about, you know, it used to be a privilege to be on social media. Now it's a privilege to be off social media. And actually, you know, in a lot of um, countries, you know, certain Facebook groups or Twitter or various things that aren't blocked, you know, that's the only place where there is relative freedom um, to organise, to gather, to debate and to discuss. So it's easy for people living in somewhere like Ireland to be like, Twitter wrecks my head so I'm just not on it anymore. Mm. It's like, well you have a free press, relatively, you know, and you can actually talk about things with your friends and you can criticise politicians and all that and that is not the situation in in lots of parts of the world. Interestingly, one of the guys doing the talk with me was the um, Director of EU Affairs for Facebook, Um, and again you know I find it very difficult to talk to people from Facebook sometimes because it's just the same messaging that's just like designed for your criticism to just flow off they've drank
1: the Kool-Aid yeah yeah I would say so 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 that was our week well no also my week oh yes very importantly Trap Hop was seven lucky number
0: yay this is us clapping well done congrats did you think you'd lost seven years um, no, definitely not
1: because <laughs> I didn't know what a nail salon was beforehand. But look, we can do nails. Bonus, we didn't have nail varnish when we opened, gas. You're kidding me. Because <laughs> no. th- me and Michelle had never done nails. So we had to wait till the staff arrived till we ordered everything. And then we we're like, where do we get nail varnish? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. Um, happy birthday, Tropical Popical. Hit me up with the news that has occurred this week. I don't know why I'm singing it, but it's working for me. (laughs) Well, uh, okay. from the top, there was a lot of climate
1: change shenanigans going on. And basically, uh, people who are so concerned with making money and... um, that they don't really care what they're damaging in the mix first off was h and M CEO who says the climate activists are encouraging people to stop consuming which poses a terrible threat to the fashion industry like obviously there's so much to unravel from that and he, he kind of pitched it, it was to Bloomberg and he kind of pitched it in a way that he was like if people stop buying stuff there's going to result in uh, poverty and then you had all the people who are campaigning for workers' rights going well if you're so concerned with people being in poverty maybe pay people the living wage, you absolute dose of Hondas. Like it was just the most uh, obnoxious take on climate change that if you stop buying loads of people are going to be poor, it's like your staff are already poor and the con- and the world is still falling down. It was just yeah, couldn't. and the climate
0: crisis is going to change countries in... Like
1: maybe real... And he's like, I'm re-look at how you at the model of fast fashion as opposed to telling people to keep buying. And kind of on a similar vein to that was uh, like IRL by 100 Leah's statement regarding the benefits of climate change at the launch of the Climate Action Plan progress report and his exact words were, we're already experiencing warmer winters and that actually means using less energy because it's like warmer and people need less heating and it also means fewer deaths as a result of the cold weather. Ridiculous.
0: Are you? Why does he sound like a, he sounds like a, a Republican state senator from North Carolina or something? Now, here's my hot political take. <laughs> He's been
1: gearing up for the election and trying to sweep up all the far-right voters um, b- before, because there's no one for them to vote for. And I feel like he's using all these tactics that kind of dog
0: whistle to the those type of voters to bring them in for 2020. I think saying those kind of things and also what he said about um, migrants recently is part of the real danger when so-called mainstream politicians start basically speaking in the exact same and way I'm, as yeah. the far right. You've lost when that's yeah. happened. So he really needs to watch that kind of language. It and is... Flying very close to the sun. Yep. And I can't put the far right or
1: not the sun. Very close to the... Well, the... <laughs> <laughs> they read the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Zing! Um, and actually tying in with the wonderful week that was and Leo having a ball at Cher, Cher then sent him a cute little letter um to tell about the gas fracking um and that it was a gateway um to uh to please do not allow it. So uh Leo does listen to celebrities, so maybe that's a way to stop this from happening. Remember the whole Kylie fangirling? He was definitely loving Cher to the nth degree, so hopefully that cuts through. So big up to Cher and Mark Rufflow and I love the way Cher was literally like, look, you don't need any more celebrities telling you what to do but like we just we have a little platform so we're going to do it. So I'm fangirling her so much and um, what I'm not fangirling is uh, Dresden um, is a city in Germany and they have declared a Nazi emergency so very similar to the climate emergency being called um, they are saying that it's a really big problem that needs to be addressed and uh, obviously Germany having a Nazi problem is something that should raise many flags but not very, like, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but it's definitely not a, raise a
0: nice white flag anyway. Um, and then the Adabney Gardens uh, development, which is right beside my gaff, as I'm contractually obliged to live in Stony Badder. <laughs> Why? Because uh, I'm an ob.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, now, I have been rolling around in circles with this, Um, and I am very excited to talk to you and see what you think about it. Okay, cool, let's go. So I feel like the councillors are being uh, used to put the blame on them for voting this through when they've been presented with either a crap deal but gets houses built or no houses built for 10 years and that is coming from the executive um, and they're kind of, I feel like they're, Like the council usually don't have any power and it feels like they're using the councillors to deflect from their decision that this is what they have to do to get Bartra on like the executive wants to make money they've got Bartra on board and they're kind of using the councillors to take the flack and obviously the councillors had to make a decision but they're like I was looking at the thought processes of people like Hazel Chew and uh, Gary Gannon who voted for it and their reasonings behind it and they're like, look, I literally have people coming to me all the time with nowhere to live. This is this amount of houses and if we go back to the drawing board, it's a 10-year process and O'Devne Gardens just remains vacant and it's been like that for two decades. Um, And obviously then the bigger picture is that uh, the Minister for Housing just will not get involved and I just... It just boils down to why will Fine Gael not build houses? Like, what is... Like, why will they not A, get involved and why will they not build houses? And why, And then I feel really sorry for the councillors who are getting the flack for the, the, the decision they had to make. And I really feel like a, a lot of people were saying, oh, you're just spinning it all out now. And But when I was I was kind of lying down on my yoga mat going if I was in that position what decision would I make and would I be able to keep my kind of principles and say no we're not going we're not selling off public land but leave it vacant for another 20 years um, if we can't get the government on board to build the houses um, for to make it fully social housing. Mm. Is, do we take something at least? Or And I can well, see like, the frustration if you are those people and there's all the councillors who voted now are like you're selling out stand for your principles and whatever. But it's like do you sometimes have to meet halfway and get shit done?
0: I think your read on it is kind of where I'm coming from as well and I think that um, the problem is is that they were made vote on the wrong deal yeah, and that that side should never have been given over to a private developer Mm -hmm. and that the private developer that they gave it over to is throwing in planning applications left, right and centre for co-living buildings in different parts of the city that are trash. Um, And the problem is is that a lot of the apartments being built are one-bedroom apartments and two-bedroom no, no. uh, apartments. Also, in, where families can't grow. And, and the t- deal that it is is, it's
1: not even like confirmed of how much uh, housing will be social housing. It's like it should be this amount. There's nothing definitive, and I feel like a lot of Dublin City Council stuff is always like, even in their Dublin report uh, for it, it's always like we should look at hmm. nighttime economy rather than we will, and yeah. the
0: definitive. Uh, goals. It's always a bit wishy washy. But they voted on the wrong deal because the the deal is very obviously favouring a developer. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very obviously um, taking public land away from the public. public yeah. And um, I, I feel for the councillors who voted it through because I understand they have to be pragmatic, you know, and and go well. Yeah. Of course we could. They that. They can't win actually. You know they can't. It's, it's, it's going to be like scuppered on them. And why won't Finnegal build housing? Well there's loads of reason for that, but it's primarily ideological. Fine Gael believe in the market, that the market will provide obviously it doesn't but that's where they're coming from and the council will turn around and say we don't have the capacity to build, to build social house. housing ourselves all of that stuff was taken away from local authorities we can't do it um, but you know they're building those houses at the moment um, they're build- so what's interesting actually is that from the get-go of this kind of p- phase of the deal they're always saying you know there won't be just all social home social housing on one block it'll all be a mixed development this kind of mixed development thing and they're literally building 56 social housing on their own on the side of the development I can see it from my fucking house like literally it's just one street over and it's like that is not a mixed development and what are you going to do make like build apartments in mid-air and then build the other ones around it you know and uh, so there, there are definitely sections of that that will be um not, not you know, di- not different kind of neighbors, or different kind of people li- living uh, next door to each other. So yeah. that's an issue because, of course, we should have like um, massively mixed development. But um, that housing was taken away, and it ha- and it's not being replaced. And uh, so, what's what is the solution? Like, the solution is basically to stop kowtowing to developers. And so, when a developer says well, you know, I will build on that land but only if I can have it for free or next to nothing. And then buy the stuff back off me. Yeah, and then you'll buy the stuff back off me and also I'm also going to be building all this other shit over here. This has happened all over. It's happened with hotel sites with developers where the council has handed over land to developers and they've said, okay, well we're going to build a hotel here, hotel here but like, we'll, we'll build this other little bit for you as well. And like because local government has been so neutralised with its, its capacity to build and all that and for the reasons that we know because there was actually really shit productivity amongst the, the building of it and there was corruption and there was all those things but those things still exist <laughs> with private developers but there's no accountability them with yeah. private developer. I mean how um, you know Bartra is just this kind of really a, a, a developer of this era. Um, in okay, fair enough. That uh, Rich Bart was in tr- in Treasury with with Johnny Ronan and and ended up Nam and all that kind of stuff. That that entity, but Bartra for me really sums up um, this current era pace, density, um, and and kind of almost um, it's it's just this abundance of of the type and stack them. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, so that's OD- the O D G. It is going ahead. Um, I just, my heart goes out to
1: the, n- not my heart goes out to the councillors. I feel really sorry for the position they were put in and I really feel they're being taken advantage of.
0: It's sad but in happy news the Irish women's hockey team qualified for Tokyo 2020 and that is fab so well done but let's get to Kildare and let's get to Andrea's famous <laughs> County Facts. <laughs>
1: This week's County Facts are for Kildare. Back to my American uh, talk show host. Uh, The population is a Gorge 222504. The nickname is the Lily Whites. And I was like, oh, that's why their GAA jumper is white. But actually, the reason they're called the Lily Whites is a result of early jerseys being made from the bags of the Lily White Bakery. So, like, I'd love to see what those bag jerseys look like. M-
0: like Missy Elliott in the video. <laughs> yeah,
1: big inflatable ones. Um, so now their GAA colour is white. So that's a bit of uh, history. Um, and the town took its name from a church built by St. Bridget herself with her bare hands under an oak tree in the 5th century. That wow. may not be true, but she d- does have a church under an Did oak tree. Did she
0: build it with her bare? No, I just added
1: that in okay, for right her, like,
0: right. it's It's kind of like
1: that. Uh, brunch date Coo (laughs) Cullum was going on (laughs) Uh, Kildare is though the equine capital of Ireland and it is home to not just the National Stud Farm that has a horse museum and the Japanese gardens which I've never been to and I like they look absolutely lovely very nice yeah I'm going to go but it also has the Curra race course and Punchestown and it has more stud farms than any other county in Ireland (laughs) Yo. <laughs> Studs. Uh, oh, God. Uh, it's the richest county in Ireland outside of Dublin. Yowza. Um, it's gas at Dublin's rich. Um, well, I suppose not really. 14% of Kildare's land is boglands, which is amazing. Um, and it's uh, the habitat to over 185 plant and animal species. And most famously uh, is the big bog of Allen. Which, which is gorge. Yeah, I wonder if I've been
0: there. Probably have. It has a little train. Goes over the bog. Oh, yeah. It also
1: has a peatland museum, exhibitions about the Bog of Allen, a research library, and then habitats and gardens, including the largest garden of carnivorous plants in Ireland and the UK. So, like, the plants are eating meat.
0: Wow. Like Venus flytraps. One like on me, vegetarian three weeks now. Veggiequarian. Oh, vegetarian. <laughs>
1: um,. Dunnadee. Dunnadee. Dunnadee Forest Park is the largest forested park in Ireland and it has lots of coniferous trees, etc, etc. It's
0: a beautiful little forest. It also has a man-made lake at the centre of it. Mm, Fab. And they do, there's also a -a Dunnadee run as well. It's a really nice place to like run around. You run the trees and you're... Mm. Running
1: is not for winners, I just think. (laughs) It's really bad for your body. And I know I'm coming at this as not fan, but like... It puts a lot of strain on you. I just, I'm, I'm not a fan. Cut to every marathon <laughs> runner and runner going, <laughs> would you get a grip? You absolute dose. Um, and I know it clears your mind and everything, but like, I medita- like running. meditate. I mm,
0: Meditate. Mm-hmm. I prefer running. Mm. Okay, go on. Okay. What, else, what else has Kildare got going on? Before Google and Facebook took their shit to
1: Dublin, uh, Kildare was known as the Silicon Valley of Europe because it was home to HP and Intel. And that's why they actually uh, got the... Celtic boom what's it called again Celtic Tiger Celtic
0: Tiger how quickly we (laughs) (laughs) forget.
1: because those uh, big companies opened up in Kildare and brought on an early boom for Kildare Uh, pharmaceutical giant Pfizer has its European manufacturing base in Newbridge not where they make Viagra unfortunately
0: there used to be a Pfizer factory at the top of my road where I grew up I grew up in an estate in Deans Grange that was just surrounded by factories and industrial estates Um, and so I just used to always see the giant Pfizer sign. That's why you're so raw, fresh and urban. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag RFU.
1: Uh, One of the greatest things that's ever happened to the world of Ireland took place there. Oxygen. Oh yeah. I adored oxygen. I'm witness. I'm witness. witness. With two N's because Guinness Guinness. was
0: sponsoring it. (laughs) Uh, I Earn followed that this that money MCD uh,
1: Brandland uh, uh, Twitter and they were literally like let us always remember Arthur's Day so that it can never happen again <laughs> It's so gas I went to
0: every single Oxygen Same Including the last one I played at it twice I also played at it What did you play? You were playing you played we played the same tent one year the Dance tent? No uh, I played the dance tent I know Um <laughs> the oh, Bacardi I played the Bacardi bar. I can't off. remember what it was it was you Beckham and Matt. my DJ days as Dublin streets I remember that um, you were ending with we built how do I remember no. this you were ending your set with we built this city on yeah. rock and roll a classic <laughs> and just as you started playing it the entire electricity and all of the tent went do you remember that? no <laughs> that happened I, I w- took a maybe drink that time maybe took, a drink. maybe took a drink I've been to every Oxygen I also went to every Witness apart from the first one and what's annoying about not going to the first witness is David Bowie played. Oh. Or did he cancel? Can't remember. Can't remember. Maybe he cancelled. Was that the year somebody, th- someone in another festival threw a lollipop stick and it hit him in the eye and he had to cancel Ed's gigs? Don't you know. Um, You're asking Miss <coughs> Non-Memory. Um, actually, if anyone has
1: any help for getting your memory, I really need to work on that. Lion's Mane. Okay. Well, Thank you. If you want.
0: What did you say, Andrew?
1: David Bowie.
0: Did he, did he, I think he may have cancelled, I think Beck played the first witness. Well, this is
2: it. It says here that he um, had a pinched nerve in his shoulder. Oh. And therefore had to cancel his appearances.
0: Where did I get the someone threw a lollipop stick at his eye?
2: I think name. that happened.
0: Yeah, I feel like it did.
2: But then I'm sort of mixing it up with his heart attack as well.
0: Okay.
1: Well, we'll anyway. come back to that. We'll come maybe back as to it, a, yeah. an episode. Uh, Ronnie Wood has a house down in Salons. Fair play to him. Yeah. Uh, And the giant ball at nice that's my fact. There is a giant ball at Nice, and everyone's obsessed with it. And it just means you're leaving Dublin. The minute you see that ball, it's like you're gone. Or don't you know when you're on your journey back to Dublin and then you're like, oh, my God, how long more? Come on, I just want to go home. And you see the ball and you're like, oh, we're nearly there. And it's uh, also known as perpetual motion. Thank you very much. Oh, that's what it's actually called. Yeah. Wow. That's why it's like,
0: it never ends because it's a circle
1: and then all the like road signs are always moving.
0: I have an update on the David Bowie lollipop <laughs> scandal. Um, so in t- 2004, David Bowie was playing uh, a gig in Oslo and uh, a lollipop, someone threw a lollipop from the crowd onto the stage and it landed and lodged in his left eye. Ooh. He um, could have joined uh, TLC. And <laughs> Lisa and left, left eye Bowie. He <laughs> continuously, he kept playing. You know, Bowie's left eye uh, was per, was damaged anyway. You know, the whole thing, had two different coloured eyes. So maybe um, it wasn't as painful as it would be for somebody with a more functioning eye or something. But much sweeter. Um, yes. Anyway, that's not <laughs> why he didn't play witness. It was a pinch of nerve, as clarified. Thank you. But I just needed to... I'm Glad yeah.
1: we've clarified yeah. that. Uh, to sum up, a few of the other things that happened there: the Ryder Cup was played in the K Club in 2006. It's home to Ireland's only international motor racing circuit, Mondello, which has been in operation for over 50 years. And I think some of the cars from Fast and Furious came over to drive Mondello. Just FYI, my mm. friend knows a
0: Fast and Furious car owner. I was just—it's very exciting. Uh,
1: the Nice bypass was Ireland's first motorway and opened in 1983.
0: Everything uh, happened in 1983 in Ireland. Did it? Yeah. The, the abortion snow. referendum, goo boo, all of the Hahi's government collapsing a couple the of snow times. where the, we were all locked in for like the weeks. snow. I was born. <laughs>
1: I was three. <laughs> also, other people who were born in Kildare include Ray Darcy, Ashing B, Meg Christy Murr, Arthur Guinness to Arthur, x One, <laughs> Luca Bloom, Donna Lunny, Damien Rice, former Miss Ireland, Blonde McKenna. Um that was came up in uh thing I used to work with her, she's an absolute out, and she actually goes out with Dylan Haskins.
0: Oh yeah, that blonde. Ah
1: yeah. uh Hi blondet and Dylan. Uh and then this is gas. Well that's not gas. Leighton Aspel who's the twice grand national winning jockey, great. But then there's this guy <laughs> and it's in every fact about Kildare. It's like who was born in Kildare? George Barrington. And what's his what's he known for? being a pickpocket. Awesome. Like, that's so bizarre. And now, maybe the most important thing about Kildare. Newbridge Silverware is based in Kildare, in Newbridge. And they have this museum of style icons and it's this um, this man who loves a celebrity uh, brings over all these different celebrities and exhibitions to the like Newbridge Silverware Museum, which is gas. But it's where... I met my idol dun, dun, dun.
0: Rebecca Vardy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I met my idol, Joan Collins, aka Alexis Carrington from my favorite programme, Dynasty. Well I'm so Can got- we have like the Dynasty theme tune there? <gasps> <laughs> that completes my story of Kildare fascinating
0: it's Kildare in the house Lily Whites represent
3: this is Kildare and this is our county rep well I'm May Kay and I'm a Lily White which is to say I'm from County Kildare I come from an amazing village called our clock with unarguably the best gap players on the planet. County champs, I get slagged a lot for even going near that topic because I have been accused of just showing up for finals, but that actually is fairly accurate. So I'll let them have that. The best shop in the country is called Buggies. Um, It should be on every Irish travel guide. It's the most Irish, deadly, community-filled, proper, authentic Irish shop in the world run by the two most amazing people and the most amazing family. Um, I have a cat called Kevin, who's from a thai. the best thing probably ever come from a thai. Um Kildare has bred the most amazing musicians. In fairness I'm new, but a lot of you come from there, but to say a few, like Apes, <laughs> Super Extra Bonus Party, Nylar Nine, Gavell Said, the gorgeous Eva Kelly, Jack Colleran, April, my new pals Tebby Rex, some amazing writers, Louise Bruton, Emma MacLeiseth, my favorite also my mum, Kathy Sheridan, um, my favorite Twitterer, Jim Daly, my favorite sister, Sarah Gerty. Um I was part of honored to be part of Selge Together for Yester and the Repeal the Eighth campaign under Kyron Shannon, Mel Brackett, and Karen Mulreed, and they uh, taught me more than I have ever learned in my life, and I'm so proud to know them. I'm so honored to have um, been shown the ropes by them. Um, I got the bus from our clock to Mount Sackville every day for secondary school. I only realised how ridiculous that name is. Uh, but I met the most amazing women there, and some of whom are still in Selbridge, and I see them regularly, which makes my heart happy. Um, the Robinsons are a family from uh, Manute, who are my family, and they are the centre point of our wider family. and I'm really proud to have them so close to me we have so many aunties uncles cousins my cousins kids are amazing um, the Riley's uh, uh, I have my friend Claire Beck who lives in a boat in Salins you now if my dogs run away they run away to Straffin so it's my dogs strafing. Um the Gerardies are from Selbridge but now live all over and uh, all travel a lot and stuff but um I love coming home to Kildare. It's a beautiful place. With the most beautiful people. And I swear to God, Ian and Andre, if you're not playing Christy Moore, the curve of Kildare right now, well, there's fuck all I can do, but I hope you are. And we're not West Dublin, all right? My gorgeous dad, Pat Garrity was the proudest Kildare man going. Um, proud old clockman, uh Was in Clongos, was, you know... <laughs> Again, I'm going to get slagged. We played for our clock as well, but there's differing tales on uh, why that career ended. Um, but we'd be the type of person that up until a few years ago would drive up in the footpath in Selbridge and me and my sister would be having an actual meltdown in the back of the car going, what are you doing? Why are you driving on the street? And he'd be like, well, I knew this when it was a farm. Uh, and I'm still not sure why that made it okay, but... Um, yeah, he loved us. Uh, he loved being from Kildare and, uh, yeah, we loved him being in Kildare. We loved Kildare because of him.
0: Cast your mind back to two weeks ago, in large swathes of North Dublin, around 600,000 people actually, were issued with a boil water notice because of a human at water treatment plant making the water potentially unsafe to drink. Then all had to be flushed out of the system and then we were back to normal and everything was grand, right? Mistakes happen, grand. However, the same thing has happened this week. Ireland has been through the mill with water provision, infrastructure, charges. We'll get to that in a minute because um, for now we're honing in on Kildare and specifically we're honing in on the Leek Slip Water Treatment Plant just on the Kildare-Dublin border. And it's this plant that seems to be the source of some of the problems. This week, another boil water notice issued for parts of Kildare, Dublin and Meath. So what is going on? Now, when the Irish Water Hoo-Ha was going on, Uh, We were told that water charges were necessary in part because of our infrastructure was so poor. This week also saw the publication of the first water advisory body report that said rather scarily that overall compliance for urban wastewater treatment is very low. And according to the EPA, that's the Environmental Protection Agency, 1.6 billion litres of drinking water is produced every day in Ireland and delivered to Communities, your tap, your shower, through around 60,000 kilometers of pipelines. But almost half of that treated water is being lost through leaks from customer properties, gaffs basically, and in the distribution network as well. So in the pipes that are underground. To talk about this, we have the best person (laughs) basically Michael Brennan is the author of a newly published book it's called In Deep Water he's also the political editor of the Sunday Business Post and as you will be familiar with by now in United Ireland we try to get the people who really know their stuff to talk about it Um, not spokespeople not um, people with a political agenda on an issue that they're trying to gain leverage on but people who actually really know their stuff and who better than a guy who's written the book on Irish water Michael, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. You are the man to talk about all things water.
2: Well, I, I'm one of the few people, Una, to have written a book on Irish water. I think probably the only one at the moment. Uh, and uh, as 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 things would have it, we now have the country's biggest ever boil water notice for six hundred thousand people in Dublin, Meath, and Kildare twice. So it, it's very strange, I suppose. That has certainly focused people's attention on on the water system all over again.
0: This podcast episode this week is about Kildare, and we're looking at the Kildare Dublin border and leak slip, and which is of monumental importance to the water supply in this country. We were told when the the uh, last boil boil water notice happened quite suddenly. Um, people were very surprised because although there have been boil water notices in different parts of the country, tends not to be something to happen in very urban areas. So what do we know about that water treatment plant? Is um like what's going on with this? Is it is it a capacity issue? Is it an overrun issue? And how can it be fixed?
2: OK, well, the first thing you're correct in saying, Una, is is boil water notices are very rare in Dublin. And it just doesn't get them because it's ha- it had quite a good water service over the years. The problem now is the, the water treatment plant in Leakslip is huge. There's basically two enormous water treatment plants for the city of Dublin. One is the Leakslip plant. The other is Ballymore, Eustace and Kildare. And that's why you'll notice people on the south side of the city have no water uh, boiled water notice. They're getting their water supply from Ballymore, Eustace. So it's if you're on the north side and in particular there in Mead, you're affected by the leak slip problem. In a nutshell, they had a big issue two weeks ago where they suddenly noticed the, the water quality in the plant was just not good enough. They call it water turbidity, where the water coming through is quite cloudy and dirty. That means the filter system isn't working in the plant. When that isn't working, all the other treatment systems aren't working and you can have dangerous bugs in the water. Things like parasites, like cryptosporidium, which can give you diarrhea and stomach cramps and is, is very dangerous. So as a result of that, they had to for a while shut down production at the plant and even when they restarted, they figured there was some potentially dangerous water had gone into the system, had been piped to people's homes, so they had to put a boil water notice saying, "Do not drink this stuff. Do not brush your teeth with it. Don't wash your fruit and vegetables with it, and um, because it could be dangerous." And and now we've had another boil water notice for slightly different reasons, but but it's 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 again for the same precaution. So, what are the reasons this time around? What happened in the last couple of days is people remember there those very heavy rainfall in Dublin, uh, you know, extremely intense. What that results then is you have rain falling onto the land near the River Liffey, which is the supply of water into the leek slip water treatment plant. That washes more soil into the river. It can wash things like animal poo into the river as well. Um, and what you have then is a much dirtier supply of water Coming into the leak slip water treatment plant, the, the, then you get into the the technology in the plant. It has three sections. Two of them are are reasonably old. One built in the seventies, another built in the eighties, and they aren't able. They weren't able to handle this dirtier water that was coming in during the heavy rainfall. There was a newer section of the plant built in twenty fourteen that worked just fine. It had good filters. It was able to filter out the dirty water, and the plant could treat the water and and give it safely. The problem is that all three sections of the plant then combine to send the water out to people's homes all around Dublin, Meath and Kildare. And they weren't able to guarantee that, you know, there was safe water from one section and unsafe from the other. So again, a massive ball water notice had to be issued.
0: I mean, this is really serious stuff and obviously it shouldn't be happening. How bad is our water infrastructure, even beyond Kildare, which services so much of um, the urban population?
2: It's we, We're very lucky and that we have, we have generally good quality water being supplied to people. The issue is it's very precarious. You can see if something goes wrong, all of a sudden there isn't much of a backup and you're in big trouble. I, I might bring your mind back to, if you remember, in 2006, you and I were out in Cape Town building, building houses with an Irish charity in, in one of the shanty towns, and we were constantly being told, don't drink the water there, use your bottle water, because the water wasn't safe. Now, we have water in Ireland that is generally safe. The problem is we are very reliant on certain supplies. For example, 85% of the water we drink in Dublin, comes from the River Liffey. Um, and if something goes wrong in the River Liffey, if there's a problem, potentially the entire city could be knocked out of water. So we also have huge problems with leaking pipes. We have lead pipes. We've open reservoirs where birds can poo into them and that is, is used for treated drinking water. We've loads of problems to deal with. The problem is, I suppose, getting the money to pay for the those upgrades.
1: There was a lot of money, though, Um around for the establishment of Irish Water and um, that went on um pay checks went on the the marketing went on all the stuff that goes with having a company like that why was that not invested within the water com- infrastructure
2: I think there's two points there one is we have a, a strange system for our water at the moment where you've 31 councils around the country Each of them has a water department and each of those then provides the water service to their local population. So in in different parts of the country, you have different services. That isn't seen as efficient. Most countries around the world, including England and, and many others, have a single water company, just like you have the ESB, which runs our electricity service. So the idea of Irish Water to set up one company was, I think, and I argue a good one. The problem was, The government decided in their wisdom to spend half a billion euro on metering uh, a million homes and there were lots of expert people telling them this is a bad idea, spend the money in the infrastructure, the meters are not going to save you money and as it turns out it turned a lot of people against water charges and and contributed to the, the collapse of the whole system.
0: You know, when you're talking about how the rain impacted, which obviously, you know, if you're a water treatment plant in Ireland, you should probably have decent enough capacity for um, rain and the the impact that rain causes in rivers. But I was just wondering, what do you think um, is going to be the impact of the increase in rainfall that we're going to be seeing in the coming years due to climate change? How is that going to impact the Irish water supply? Because one of the things that is, well, I suppose two of the aspects of the climate crisis that will really impact Ireland are one, warmer sea temperatures, which will cause more intense storms and two, rainfall will increase in winter. We're seeing that already and decrease in summer. We're seeing that already. I mean, six of the warmest um, summers Ireland has ever had have happened since 1990. So are we going to have this oscillation between drought and flood? in terms of our water supply?
2: The the biggest, the big threat in terms of climate change is, is twofold, I think. One is you're going to have more rainfall, as you correctly say. The problem for Ireland as a country is the population in the east of the country is getting bigger, where you have less rainfall and the population is getting smaller in the west of the of the country, where you where you have more rainfall. That's where the idea comes from for the Shannon Pipeline, that you take lots of water, excess water from the River Shannon, and pump it up through the likes of Port Leash, Mullingar, which actually is a very precarious water supply, and continue on to Dublin. But that project is is going nowhere fast at the moment. It'll probably take five to ten years to build. So you could well have a water crisis in the east of the country, given the, that threat of climate change.
0: And is the Shannon Pipeline actually going to happen? Like, I don't know how where I stand on it, because it does feel very kind of unnatural to be siphoning off a river towards a capital city that's like miles and miles away. Is, that, is the Shannon Pipeline an intrinsically good idea? And is it actually going to happen?
2: I would say there is bitter debate about it. There are a lot of people, uh, you know, around the catchment area in Tipper area and Limerick who feel this is a, a grand plan for Dubliners to steal their water and, and injure their amenities in the area. I think, though, you know, the, the, you see countries, if you go and hold this to Spain or Lanzarote, places like that, they have desalination plants because water is so short there, they literally take the salt out of the water and treat it and then use it for drinking water. You know some people have suggested why don't we do that here but I think that's just madness if we have a good supply of of, of 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 raw water in Ireland you know it's a lot easier to pipe it and treat it rather than build things like desalination plants. The other thing put it, against the River Shannon project is the argument why don't you fix all the leaks we have about of our treated water is leaking into the ground because the pipes are British era, Victorian era in in a lot of the cities. Now, that is terrible and it's a huge waste of money. And it's also a waste of electricity, which which is another climate change impact, all that carbon uh, being used up. But... What? Why? What the problem with a leak repair program, uh, Una, is it takes a huge amount of money. You have to dig up streets all around Dublin, Limerick, Galway and so on. You cause enormous disruption. So you can do it gradually, but it's very hard to fix leaks quickly because if you fix leaks in one area, the pressure increases in the pipe and it goes and bursts the pipe, uh, which is weaker further down the, the line. So I, I think the Shannon pipeline for me the arguments are very strong for it and I'm I, I haven't been convinced by the counter arguments I've heard so far.
0: Mm. Um, back in two thousand and seven, um, for my sins I spent an awful lot of time on the cryptosporidium outbreak in Galway when I was working as a reporter in the Tribune and I spent weeks and weeks and months and months down there and the impact that these kind of um, disruptions have on people's daily lives is terrible never mind the impact on business and tourism and so on and it does feel that that there have been a lot of warning signs about our shoddy infrastructure and the lack of capacity with plants and so on that haven't necessarily been heeded. although I know that the establishment of Irish Water was an attempt to do that, although it was done badly um, in its execution. Um, so it does feel like there's probably uh, slightly more worrying things coming down the line than solutions. But I was just wondering if you were in charge of um, you know, not just Irish water, because I think it's very difficult to work for Irish water. But if you were like, you know, had this uh, duty and responsibility for water in the state, what's the one thing that you would do straight away to make the situation better?
2: I I think it, there there are so many places you could go, but I think what insults me the most, I have to say, Una, about our water system is is the raw sewage being discharged into into rivers and seas around the country. Like it's bad for people's human health. Um, I was up recently in Bondoran and Donegal. That's a famous surfing spot. Mm. But until very recently, they were putting raw sewage out into the water there. They only opened up a proper treatment plant literally about a year ago. People might know Kilmore Quay in in Wexford, which is a famous fishing village and and lovely picturesque thatched cottages down there. But they are putting out raw sewage at the moment into the sea, right beside where there's a children's playground and a pier where people can go swimming. So... I think that is that that is is, is also le- leading us open to legal action from the EU, which has given us 20 years to restore things. So we have problems on both sides. We have the problem with clean drinking water, making sure that's available for people. But then you have the problem of, of raw sewage. And you mentioned earlier on the, the increase in rainfall we're likely to face uh, as as the climate changes. We have loads of what are called combined sewers around the country where you have a a pipe which not just takes sewage from houses, it takes any excess rainfall. What happens when there's heavy rain? Well, that rainfall just goes right into those combined sewers. It floods into the, the wastewater treatment plant. It can't handle all the extra water, rain rainwater and sewage water and guess what? It has to dump it out into the sea and that's what happens in the Rings End wastewater treatment plant in Dublin at the moment and why you have those pollution incidents. So that's that's a huge threat, and and people are losing not only their their, uh, their 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 clean drinking water, but often your 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 clean bathing water. You can't go onto a beach because of the the threat from the raw sewage.
0: Oftentimes, it feels like these things are very kind of systemic. But what can individuals do to potentially make the situation better for themselves? You know, apart from boil their own water and that kind of stuff. Is there any advocacy or um, community activism that can? like a fact change in this area, particularly around the the sea pollution?
2: Well, in one regard, this issue has become so toxic. You know, when I was writing the book, I was very careful not to turn into an argument for or against water charges. I wanted to find out for myself what really happened. Because of the, the huge controversy, the marches, the protests, the the country, I think, at the moment, isn't ready for a conversation or, or activism on whether there should or shouldn't be domestic water charges. But one thing I think people could do is we have at the moment a situation where you have a lot of leaks in people's houses. You have a pipe going in and there's a leak in their garden or perhaps even a, you know a leak in the internal plumbing or or even a toilet cistern that keeps running running all night. That uses up actually quite a lot of water, and unfortunately, what Irish Water found is since water charges were abolished, people are being told, you know, that they have a leak on their property. The meter outside, the famous meter, shows that they're using more water than than they should, and it's it's down to a leak. But people just aren't fixing their their leaks because some of them seem to think, well, it'll cost me money. Why should I bother? And because I'm not going to have to pay anything extra. So I think there is a, a sort of moral duty on people to literally um take up those offers of of, of help. There's a first fix scheme where there's a, a payment to basically try and reduce the cost on you to fix the leak. So I think that's something practical people can do. You know, there's all those stuff with water barrels and rain barrels, but that's definitely something that would make a, a difference in itself.
0: Great advice, Michael. Thank you so much. Your book is called In Deep Water. It's out now. It sounds absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for uh, joining us to talk about this. Really appreciate it.
2: Thanks very much, Una. Great to talk to you.
1: It's time to talk about getting in the sea. And this week uh, we have been faced with planning permission for, yes, that's right, another hotel in Dublin Eight. Um, it is uh, for Molyneux Yard, where there currently is uh, a stables, but it's off Mead Street. But that brings the uh, hotel count in the area up to uh, the hotel that's going in on Vicker Street, the hotel at the Tivoli, A Loft by the Fumbly, Hyatt in the Liberties, Maldron Kevin Street, and now this hotel on Mead Street plus all the student accommodation. Now, whilst I am not against hotels, I'm a big fan of hotels, I love a good sheet, and I love miniature uh, room service, There is going to be nobody left in the area who isn't transient. You're completely eradicating community. The gentrification continues and whilst there uh, is a lot to be said for gentrification as well, but there is also a lot to be said when all that is going in is hotels and student accommodation um, leaving no space for the community there. And imagine the hotel is going to have 261 rooms. Imagine if 261 homes were built in the area. So this week... Hotels can get in the sea um, where they're eradicating culture and community.
0: I also think we need to find another word for gentrification when it comes to hotels and student accommodation because it's not, not gentrification. It's not gentrification. It's no. just shit. It's just uh, whatever. But what's not shit are fave bits. These are my fave bits this week. Um, On Saturday, I'm going to a big gay rave in Manchester. I'm so jealous. Called Homo Block. Roisin Murphy's playing. Very excited. And Roisin Murphy actually tweeted this week that it's going to be all new music, new visuals, new everything. And said something like, get it up your Irish backstop. I've got two (laughs) tickets to sell if anyone wants them. Homo Block, Manchester, Black Madonna, Honey Dijon. All the best. Robin's doing DJ Said it's going to be a whopper so I can't wait. I'm so jealous. My other fave bit, um, Not that we want to divert you away from our amazing podcast, but in fairness, Dolly Parton's America, (laughs) which I started listening to today. A couple of people had recommended to me. It is brilliant. And a lot of it is about unity of discourse, which is what we're all about. So check it out. Not just about Dolly, although why wouldn't you just want to listen to something about her Uh, all the time? It's just fucking brilliant. Queen. Um, It's also about America and how she is a unifying force. Go for it. My third fave bit, which I excitedly texted uh, Andrea about <laughs> over the weekend, thinking she'd be enthusiastic, and it was just like she didn't care. I did care. I really did. I googled it and everything. Hyperdrive on Netflix <laughs> is a reality television show about drifting, set on an insane like car racing obstacle course where you have to like drive through water and do all these like donuts in this place when the pattern of the box lights up you have to go in different things full of loads of amazing characters obviously I'm completely manipulated by the production you know ridey 22 year old truck driver birds from Tampa etc <laughs> it is amazing
1: It's be- you sold it to me as being like a real life Fast and Furious yes and who's the exact
0: producer Uh, Charlize Theron curveball and she turns up on one of the episodes like going down to like mentor this young drifter uh, chick from South Africa to bring her over to America to compete in hyperdrive that storyline was actually very (laughs) powerful
1: so those are my five bits. Good five bits. My five bits this week. Um, I'm very excited. Hen's Teeth are opening uh, on Thursday in their new venue. And they're opening with Niall Sweeney's I Am The Cosmos. So they did a big drive um, for crowdfunding. And so the Fruits of the Labour are opening this Thursday. So pop in if you can. I'm also very excited. Um, I always love the View Our Fair and the and um, because it brings it brings together all the galleries well not all the galleries but a lot of the galleries in the country who uh, show off their fave bits um, and I am obsessed with Freeze Art Fair in New York and London because you just get a taste of everything so I was very excited uh, for that and especially because it's uh Mazer and his Atelier Mazer are the first ever post street art gallery to exhibit a few, uh, presenting a collection of work by artists from uh, the Atelier Mazer annual exhibition programme, including Aix, Stephen Burke, Peter Doyle, and Mazer himself. So, very excited to see that. I'm also very excited for Lizzo on Sunday. I am absolutely sweating to get to that concert. Um, And yeah. Sweat, sweat, sweat. I can't I,
0: wait to hear from you. I obviously won't be there because I'll be
1: in uh, rave Home recovery. Well, I actually bought my tickets to Homer Block because I couldn't get a ticket to Lizzo. And then I got a ticket to Lizzo. So Homer Block is getting in the sea for me. <laughs> oh, harsh. <laughs> but I really want to go to both, but I can't. So I'm going to Lizzo. And also, uh, I, another one of my fave bits is no more hotels at the club night. Um, and kind of I suppose a little political protest that we run in Wigwam. It's a dinner and a show and then followed by Dublin Island Discs where some of our favourite people from the city who light up the city with their stories pick 10 songs that define the city for them. That is on the 16th of November. The dinner and a show part is sold out but there are still some tickets to Dublin Island Discs so if you want to go get on it the link is in the bio of No More Hotels and that links into our Get In The Sea. And also oh, an extra f- uh, favorite Bit is Mark Megan's new podcast, The Sunday Roast. He's a gas
0: trout, and he did
1: his first episode, so you should have a listen to that.
0: Shout outs this week: Eve Ward, thank you very much for your kind words, a Monaghan, We really appreciated your message, and to Teddy Bear Junior, the furry little prince. <laughs> <laughs> Only one person will get that. This podcast is produced by Andrew Magan at
1: Castaway Media with support from. Susie Bennett, Crystal Clear gave us its tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. I'm going to see my parents very excited. And Sarah Fox did all of our design. Uh, you can find all our socials and all the usual on our website. Do
0: support us on Patreon. Um, oh yeah, we never did a Patreon shout out. Please give us some money. We need it. Thank you. And also, if you were a, a subscriber or a supporter on Patreon and your payment didn't go through at this month maybe you like forgot about it maybe your account was smashed or whatever I know mine was uh, maybe you're changing cards just check that you're still a supporter um, and if it dropped off come back
1: oh uh, and do, like, come on give us a bit of dush uh, now tuna chicken roll we're back to our disco life uh, and we are going to have a song called We Magnify His Name from Plan. love floor Plan. it's a Tuna,
0: Jesus. I've been Ina Malali. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland, that and that was Kildare. Kildare.